0: We'll do back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And what a blessed time we had this last weekend, our resurrection services, different studies. I pray that you were all blessed with your families and at home. Those that were online, we're so glad that you guys are checking in on us. Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you remember last week, there was a long list of Israel's rebellions being just put right in front of them as... Moses is showing them by inspiration of the Holy Spirit the rebellion. And, and we started looking at how it wasn't even that generation, it was their parents and their grandparents in that last 40 years that had done those things. But they're being reminded before they go into the Jordan, uh, over the Jordan into the promised land, don't do it. Don't be like this. Be close to the Lord. You're gonna be, if you're going to be rebellious, it's going to cost you. There's consequences. And we saw the preparation. Well, chapter 10 continues on that same thread. We always have to remember that the chapters were put here by man, not by the Lord. So it's the same continuous thought. And we need to connect the two together this evening. And we're going to do that as we jump into verses 1 through 5 after a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing, consistently doing, Lord. And we want to hear from you this evening as we grow in your word together. And you share with us from Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Jesus' name, amen. And at that time, at that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that, you were, that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Verse 5. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and I put the tablets in the ark which I had made, And there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. Now, in my mind's eye, when I hear that, and there they are, I think Moses is literally pointing at them. Like, there they are over there in the tabernacle in the ark. But there's a a beautiful picture here. Remember, the last chapter was constant rebellion from the nation of Israel. And we remember at Mount Horeb, we remember when Moses comes down with the tablets. He hears the great commotion. God tells him, you need to go down there. And there's Aaron, and there's the idol, and they're worshiping to this false idol there. And Moses, in his righteous anger, just throws them down. But it's symbolic that it was the breaking of the word of God. They were to keep the law, and they can't keep the law. Man cannot keep the law. We break it. And the goodness of God is what leads man to repentance. Because not only were the commandments broke, the two tablets, Moses is able to go back up the mountain, go back into fellowship with God, and receive it again. And it's brought back down. You know, we are really, really underestimating God. Now, because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and in all places at all times, it's impossible for us not to underestimate him because he's greater than we can possibly even think. His ways are above our finding out. But no, if we, we think about who God is in his perfection, why is he merciful? Why does he give us second chances? Why doesn't he just smite them all and start all over? We remember last week we were talking about how Moses had interceded. But really, it was God placing that on his heart. Why does God allow us to have second chances? It never ceases to amaze me. Two things. One, my ability to sin, fail, break the law, or to make a mistake, to do the wrong thing, even though I know who the Lord is and I walk with the Lord daily. It never ceases to amaze me my own depravity. Nothing that disqualifies me as a pastor. I don't want you all to go crazy but just my own daily struggles with the Lord. The other thing that never ceases to amaze me is the perfection, the holiness, and the mercy of God. That in spite of those things, he gave his only begotten son, that he could bestow that grace upon me, that we can all go back up the mountain. We don't go out Mount Horeb. We don't go up Mount Moriah. We go up Mount Calvary to the cross because our great high priest makes intercession For us, God is continuing to restore that which we break. In my house, there is not a wall that does not have some kind of child's writing on it. (laughs) There is not a room that has not some kind of hole in the wall from one of my children. There is not a floor that is not dirty from mud being tracked in. There is not a dish that is not used. Sometimes they use three or four dishes in the same meal. I don't even know how it happens. Constant chaos. And there's there's Meg constantly cleaning up. I just cleaned this up, and you did a great job. You can show us again. (laughs) But that's the heart that God has for us. We do nothing but fail and make mistakes and ruin everything and destroy everything. We leave holes everywhere we go. Holes in relationships. We leave writing on things that are perfect. We mess it up. We blemish it. And yet the Lord is interested in the sacrifices of praises from our lips. Yet the Lord knows our thoughts afar off. And yet the Lord wants us. He, he is making ways to restore that which we have destroyed. And he does that through his son. Yes, God rewrote the commandments on the tablets and sent them back down, knowing that his people were going to break them again. And that's my final point before we go to the next section of Scripture, is that even though man is constantly trying to break and corrupt the word of God, the word of God never changes. It's the exact same word from the Lord. He never breaks his promises. He never turns his back on us. He never fails. He is constant. He is true. He is perfect and we definitely are not. All that in the first five verses. You guys ready to keep going? Well, in verses six through nine, Moses continues. Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Benijakon to Mazara, where Aaron died and where he was buried. And Eleazar, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there they journeyed to Gudgada, and from Gudgada to Jotpatha, a land of rivers of water. And at that time, I don't know why I keep adding and, at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren, The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. So now we're going to talk about the the priesthood. We talked about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments being broken and God restoring them. Then we're looking at the priesthood, these intercessors, those that are to bridge the gap between the people who are constantly sinning and failing and rebelling. Oh, Mike, prove it to me. Chapter 9, proven over and over and over again. And they're to intercede between a broken, sinful people and a perfect, righteous God. They're to be the bridge, the priests. But they themselves are sinners. They themselves need to make atonement and to be purified before they can come into the presence of a holy God. And God makes a way, but if we go back to Leviticus, we go back to Exodus, and we remember those Bible studies, remember that every single thing they do from the clothes they wear, to the way they make their sacrifices, to the animals that are sacrificed, the tabernacle itself are all pointing to Jesus. They're all pointing to Calvary. The Bible tells us that the volume of the book is speaking of him, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus himself. Because the priests couldn't really do anything. I mean, how many sins did a a goat's blood actually pay for? None. It was a symbol of a future atonement that would come through Jesus Christ. How, how much, how closer to God did we get because a priest wore a certain robe a certain way? But it did show the imperfection of man because if he made a mistake in the Holy of Holies, he would die in the presence of God to show our fallen nature. And this restoration goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden And that sin separated us from God. And ever since then we cannot have fellowship with the Lord apart from our great high priest. The book of Hebrews speaks of him as Jesus Christ. It is through our great high priest eternal in the heavens, Jesus that we can come to the throne room boldly. We can come into the presence of a holy God through him. Here We see that human priests, they just die. They're just men. It's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. But Jesus died once and then rose again, defeating death. Yes, they traveled there and Aaron died. Was Aaron a good high priest? That's a good biblical question there. Was he a good high priest? Let's talk about his first day on the job. Not a very good first impression. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about when he made the golden calf, then lied to Moses about it, and said it popped up out of nowhere. (laughs) But remember, earlier I referenced something. We don't understand how perfect, holy, just, and righteous and powerful our true God is. I mean, think about it. God breathes into mud. And a man comes out with a soul. And that man is sinless and will live forever in fellowship with God as his creation. And God says, you can do whatever you want, just don't eat of the fruit. And the man eats of the fruit. We won't talk about Eve, we'll just talk about Adam. <laughs> but he eats of the fruit, and he has rebelled against the perfect, holy, righteous, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present creator of the universe. He should be wiped. He should be obliterated in a moment. He should go back into the mud. He could be sent into eternal torment and damnation right there. But no, Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. That means before the Lord breathed into the mud, and made Adam in the image of Jesus because he, we, the Bible is Elohim, the compound unity made, God in, made in our image. Jesus was always there. That means that the Lord was ready to sacrifice himself before he even gave Adam the ability to sin, the free will to sin. That is the goodness and the grace of our God. And here we have this rebellious priest, Aaron. He goes into the ground. And another priest takes over, his son. And he too is going to fail. And over and over and over again, every single priest is going to die and go into the grave and then go before the Lord until Jesus, our Messiah, goes into the grave and rises up and defeats sin, death, and the devil. And we have victory in him, restoring that which we have destroyed because our God loves us, this perfect and holy God. Now, that leads us to some interesting ideas. Because it says here that the tribe of Levi was separated to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, in verse 8. Where the priests have failed, they're still as a tribe to represent God and a relationship with God above all things. They weren't supposed to have property. They weren't given a portion of the land. Their sole occupation was to serve the Lord. And that's what it says there in verse 9. No portion nor inheritance with his brethren. So they're supposed to live wholly dedicated lives to God. That's their calling. I say, man, that's amazing. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't supposed to work. If you were with us in Leviticus and Exodus and you looked at The constant offering of wood, the constant animal sacrifices, the constant washings, the constant praying, those guys had to work very hard. And when they wandered the 40 years in the desert, they had to take the tabernacle down. They all had their poles and their rings and the furniture, and everything had to be moved a certain way. They weren't lazy. They had to work hard. For those pastors out there golfing all day, come down here. I'm going to talk to you. You got work to do. But then... But then I start to think about this a little bit more. You see, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that through Jesus Christ, we are a kingdom of priests. That we as New Testament Testament believers, we are a kingdom of priests dedicated to the service of God. But then I want you to look at this verse here at the end of verse 9. The Lord is his inheritance. Just as the Lord your God promised him. This verse spoke to me. As much as I love the, Lord, the Word of God, I love the Lord, you know, I, I pray, I spend time thinking about I spend a lot of time thinking about it, I, I, at the same time, I'm still not a very spiritual person. You know, I'm just a kind of uh, even kill. I'm like a tractor. I'm like a farm tractor. I just keep plowing. I don't really have very many, but every once in a while, the Holy Spirit just, like, puts something on me. I'm like, wow, I get a feeling for a minute. I'm like, oh, that's what that's like. Well, I felt that here, the Lord is his inheritance. No portion, no inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, and I and I felt it as a conviction as a pastor. But then I felt it as a conviction as a Christian, because we are a kingdom of priests. We are so focused on what we're going to earn next. What's our next paycheck? What's our next move, our next real estate deal? How do we edge ourselves for inflation? What do we do when the gas prices go up? What do we do when milk is $20 a gallon? How do I get a little bit larger house? How do I get another piece of property? How do I invest in this, that, and the other thing? Now, we know from the book of Galatians, every man's supposed to carry his burden. The the Bible also tells us that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. We're, We're all supposed to occupy until the Lord's return. But the question is here, what is your inheritance? You know, I, I think a lot about my family and like, what's my family legacy going to be? What is a couple of generations in my family, if the Lord Terry is going to be like? But here, this scripture says, the Lord is my inheritance. <clears throat> what was Job's family legacy when his, his barns were taken, his sons and daughters were taken, his health was taken? He said, naked I came in and naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I said, the Lord should be the focus. And I started dwelling on this a little bit more. For all of us Christians, is the Lord your delight? Is the Lord what you focus your time on? Is is the Lord your desire? Finally, before we continue, I was uh, watching this conversation. This guy was talking about people on their deathbed. He was talking about what, what people think or what people say on their deathbed. And he said something that was pretty funny. He said, nobody, I've ever, never heard anyone on their deathbed say, I wish I would put a couple more hours in at work. I wish my career had gone a little bit farther. He said, nobody ever says that. But it, it gets you thinking. I asked you earlier, what kind of high priest was Aaron? How did he do? Well, you know where I'm going with this. What kind of priest are you? We are a kingdom of priests, anointed and covered by Jesus. We talked about the robes that the priest would wear. What kind of robes? What what did that do for our sins? Nothing. But we're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're to put on Jesus, the Bible tells us in Galatians. Not in Galatians, I'm sorry, in the New Testament. We put on Jesus Christ and his righteousness, the Bible tells us. We're a kingdom of priests, and we have a special dress. Special clothing for you guys that don't want to be told that you're dressed. (laughs) We are to represent him to the world. He is our inheritance. We're not supposed to have an inheritance in the world. We're not supposed to be worried about those things because this this whole world is passing away. Soon it will go into the ground. But what will that legacy be when you're standing before the king, when you're with the Lord yourself? Well, they say when we enter into the kingdom, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I told you, I started thinking about these things and contemplating it. When I'm trying to make plans and how I'm going to do things and the stresses at work, and then I have to remember Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, man makes his plans and the Lord laughs. I thought, is the Lord laughing at my plans? Lord, are you laughing at my plans? Lord, are you my inheritance? Lord, what am I doing here? And then I remember, you know, when when the tablets of stone are broken on the ground in front of you, when you see your idols in front of you, your golden calf, when you see your rebellions listed out as it was in chapter 9, what do we do? Go up the mountain. Go get another fresh word from the Lord. His word never changes. His mercies are new every day. You can have restoration, you can have revival through our great high priest because he never fails, he never goes into the ground, he'll never die again. Think about that. Go back up to the mountain into the presence of the Lord. Rededicate yourself. Start over. He's not done with you yet. Now in verses 10 through 13, he says, As at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. So we all fail. We just need to fail forward. We all sin. Anyone who says they're not a sinner makes God a liar, and God does not lie, he cannot lie. If anybody asks you, is there anything God cannot do? That's one of them. He can't lie. And it says here that Moses stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Don't underestimate the importance of spending time with God. Time means nothing to God. The the amount of time that you spend with God doesn't affect his relationship with you. It affects you. You need to put the time aside. I've said it before. Elon Musk, Bill Gates, um, name the richest people on the planet. I don't care how rich they are. They can make more money. They're making more money every day. They make more money in a minute than some of us will make in a lifetime. But not one of them, with all their money, can buy another day on this planet. They can't buy another minute in an hour. They can't buy another hour in the day. They can't buy another day in a month. We are equally gifted and cursed with the same amount of time. So how we spend that time that is so precious is 100% up to you. Now, I lecture the guys at work all the time, and when they're late to a meeting, I let them have it. They're two minutes late. I say, why why are you late? This meeting is, oh, I got stuck in traffic. No, why don't you say what you mean? Hey, I'm late. I got here right when I wanted to. What what do I mean by that? Because they decide when they want to get up. They decide if they're going to be there a half hour early. They decide they're going to be there two minutes late. And then I really want to rub it in the salt. I say, if I had a $10,000 check here and the only way you could get it was to be at this meeting at 7 o'clock, where would you be? Two minutes late? No. No. The, The precious time that we have in our day. Spend time with the Lord. Forget your tithes and your offerings. Forget the money. We have been preconditioned church equals money. That's a lie from the pit. It is far more precious the time in your day. Put some time aside to pray, you and the Lord. If you don't have a personal prayer time, you don't have a relationship with God. You're not talking to him. If someone came into marriage counseling and said to me, yeah, I spend about five minutes a week talking to my spouse, I'd have to pick my jaw off the floor and say, yeah, we need to work on your relationship a little bit. Yeah, I don't understand, you know. She doesn't love me anymore. I don't spend, you know, I talk to her a good five minutes a day or five minutes a week. How much more do I need? I signed a contract, you know, rich or poor, sickness and health till death do us part. Didn't say anything about how much I got to talk to her. And we're laughing, but that's our relationship with God. Well, when he wants to talk to me, he'll talk to me. No, 40 days and 40 nights, nothing but the presence of the God. What happened to Moses when he came down? His face was shining. We're depressed. We're anxious. We're frustrated. We're angry. We want to get on an airplane and fight with the stewardess, apparently, in our culture, because nobody's spending time with the Lord. I use that word nobody. I know that's extreme. I know I'm being an extremist when I say you don't have a relationship with God if you're only spending five minutes. Yes, they are provoking statements. But things change when you spend time with God and his word. And I love what it says, the Lord also heard me. See, we, we don't spend enough time thinking about who God is and our relationship with him. Why did he have mercy on Adam? Why didn't he just split those cells and start right on over? Because our God is good. We are taking advantage of his mercy. That's when it says here, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. We look at that and we go, of course not. He's good. He loves everyone. We don't know who God is. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in their sin. Ananias and Sapphira. Foof, God. And every day, souls are going into an eternal fire and will never come out for all of eternity. And and Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Fearful. We are to have a godly reverence for him. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He could, with not even a thought, obliterate every atom in the universe. And start over from scraps, but he will not, because he will always keep his word, and he loves us. And so, when it says here, "And the Lord chose not to destroy you," we should have a little more reverence. Oh, Lord, thank you. Me, a sinner who is rebelling against you any given moment, who is betraying you every given moment, who would rather watch TikTok videos and open your word and spend time with you, even though your son died for me on a cross so that I could build this relationship. I'd rather go to the movies. I'd rather go look at myself in a mirror. I'd rather go to the salon. I'd rather gossip with my friends, my girlfriends, wherever you are. And he chooses not to destroy us. Oh, praise you, Lord. And then the Lord said to me, and this is the real encouragement, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that you may go in and possess the land which I swore to your fathers. Because God always keeps his promises. We fail forward by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we understand who God is and his judgment and his righteousness, and then we understand that he gave his only begotten son because he loved the whole world and didn't come into the world to judge it, but that everyone who believes in him shall not perish. We need to focus a little bit more on the shall not perish. Because if it's not for Jesus Christ, if it's not for the grace of God, we're toast. We are owed nothing. And yet he's blessed us tremendously. And through his son Jesus and his grace, he says, and go forward and continue. I'm not done with you. I'm going to keep my promise not because of you guys. You guys can't keep your word for anything, but I keep my word, the Lord says. Go into the promised land. Wow. We as Christians have a relationship with God, not by religion, but by a relationship that is built by Almighty God himself. He restored that which is destroyed and which we try to destroy on the daily in our sinful nature. And we access that by grace, not by religion. And that's the last word here. He says, and keep the commandments of the Lord. Back, let's back up a little bit in verse 12. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. I already told you guys you don't do that. So we already know, take that one off the list. We fail at that all the time. Anytime we defer from spending time with God and doing something else, we don't really have that reverence for God of who he is. All right, let's go to the next one. To walk in all His ways. Yeah, we don't do that either. See reason number one. And to love Him. Yeah, all the time? We don't do that either. How do we know that? Well, God came and saved us, and God gave His only begotten Son when we were enemies with Him. All right, well, we lost on that one. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart. Are you 100% fully committed to God every moment, every minute, every second of the day? Not even in the last five minutes. <laughs> Strike that off the list. And with all your soul. Nope. And to keep the commandments of the Lord. We're already off the list. We're, we're in bad shape here. And his statutes, which I command you today for your good. We can't keep this law. What's written here is perfect. Yes, How would the world be if every human being did this? There'd be no war. There'd be no famines. I read on the back of a bag of chips today that 30% of all food is wasted in the United States. 30% of all food is wasted. And there's people starving all over the planet. The things you learn on the back of a potato chip bag. (laughs) I did my duty. I finished the bag of chips. (laughs) But if the world's fully was able to do these things. We can't, we can't, we can't. And that's the whole purpose of grace. We love the Lord because he, get, he made a way through his son, through grace. We can't keep the law. We're not religious enough. We're not good enough. We can't keep the standards. That's why the tablets were crushed in the ground because the second man holds on to them, we drop them. But the Lord's hands never came off that cross. He never pulled them down. He doesn't drop it. He is not weak. He is strong and mighty. Well, in verses 14 through 16, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. That's beautiful. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff necked no longer. Amazing. Now, these verses come directly after the rebellions of chapter 9. All the rebellions. And yet, here it says, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. And the same thing is true of us. I told you in my house, I look at a hole in the wall. I want to find the first kid in my house. And I just want to, you know how hard I work for this? And then I see the scribbles on the wall. I'm like, I'm going to poke that child with that pencil. Where is he? Where is she? But then I hear, I love you, Dad. When are you getting home from work tomorrow? Like, oh, man. Wow. Our relationship with God. We're just constantly messing up his house. The earth is his and everything that is in it. And he is God of all of the heavens and the heavens' heavens. He is in control of all of it. And here we are just constantly messing it up. And yet he continues to make restoration. He wants our heart. You catch that? He wants our heart. He doesn't want our tithes. He doesn't want robotic obedience. He doesn't want religious habit, which is different than any other religion on the planet. All the other religions in the planet say, man, do this, and your deity, your God, or yourself will be happy. The true and the living God says, there's no hope. You're completely wait. There's nothing you can do to help. I'll do it for you. It's done. It's done. He's after your heart. He wants a true relationship with you. And he did that through his son, Jesus. And we're going to see that in verses 17 through 22. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. That's an underlined verse there, verse 18. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God. Who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen? Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of the heaven, of heaven and multitude. And that's because God keeps his promises. Have you been there like Abraham, arguing with the Lord? Lord, you call me father of many nations. I don't have a son. And here they are here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at all you people. Moses is like, Abraham, why did you accept that promise? You know how many problems I have now? But we do the same thing. I said we needed to focus on who God is. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Forget the ten plagues. Forget the miraculous victories in battle. Forget the 40 years of manna. That stuff is child's play. That stuff is toys. Compared to all of humanity's sins were paid for on the cross, that whosoever believes in God shall not perish but have everlasting life. Any person who comes to Jesus Christ and confesses him as their Lord and believes in their heart, is saved from eternal damnation by faith alone in Christ alone. Forget all the other Old Testament prophets. That's just a tiny shadow of what we have fulfilled in Christ, in the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, in the Word of God, coming along with us. He is our praise. He did the work. He did it. And we're to, to fear Him and have a reverence for Him to understand who he is, he is our God who has done. He is your God who has done. He does what he says he's going to do. He says that if you believe in him, when you close your eyes for the last time, you will be in his presence for eternity because of his work, not our own. We, if we just know who God is. And then I was sitting there meditating on that. And I went back to thinking about the Levites and that God is their inheritance. That is their promise. He is our God. What else do we need? What what problem do you have in the world that you're facing now in your mind, in the world, in your finances, in your health, in anything that compares to the fact that he is yours and you are his? Nothing. Because on your deathbed, whatever problem you have right now is not a problem. It's not a problem incredible we've seen these miracles all around us it says who has done for you these great and awesome things with your which your eyes have seen and yet in our sinful minds we doubt we see it every day these miracles all of us all miracles that god's working in us and yet we doubt now i want to share a personal story uh it's no secret my my background where i came from i came from a broken home like many like the majority of americans today and i came from a fatherless home now my god has restored my relationship with my father it's miraculous you'll see him here uh, on occasionally when he comes to visit but i grew up without him in my life for a variety of reasons And I had such an anger towards my father and to God. That was a lot of my atheistic, militant uh, background came from that. I didn't understand that I was really angry at the God I said didn't exist. I know you've heard stuff like that before. When I became a believer and I read, he, he administers, verse 18 is where I'm at, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit when he was when I read that. Like, not only did God still love me, even though I hated Him and was rebelling against Him, He even put a special note in His book for me. It's like, no, no, all that stuff you were going through, I was there with you. Wow, the same thing's true for you. If you're a widow here, He has a special heart for you. He wants to go out of His way. He wants to tell you. You feel like you're a stranger. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody knows your story. Nobody knows what's going on. Who cares what these people think anyway, first off? But second, he loves you. He gave himself for you. You have a relationship with the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe, and you're worried about what these people think? Come on. Snap out of it. Snap out of it, huh? Because why? Verse 21, he is your praise. And he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. And he declares that to us when easily, if we went back, he could say, verse 10, he chose not to destroy you. That's good enough, isn't it? If the whole chapter was, hey, God's so great, he doesn't kill us all now. We'd be like, amen, he's a good God. But no, he goes even farther than that. My encouragement for you this evening is to be like the children of israel fall forward fall into grace when you stumble when you backslide when you make a mistake go back up the mountain spend time with him he has not rejected you he's not cast you off you're still breathing you're still working he's got a plan for you and he never fails in any of his plans the children of israel are that example we're going to spend what little I left in our prayers, for our prayers this evening to spend time with our great Father who has given us this opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and we just want to lift up this time of prayer to you, this time of fellowship with one another at your presence, at your seat, and we want to lift up these prayers to you now. pray you would be guiding us through your spirit and press upon our heart those things you want us to share with the fellowship and press upon our heart the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that we'd be obedient to your word in doing so.